What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show, right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Confessions of a curly mind. Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Soul with C.F. Smith. You're listening to the Blue and Green Podcast. And I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com Welcome friends, thank you for tuning in, uh, you're listening to the, another episode of the Blue in Green podcast, my name is Imran and we have a dynamite show lined up for you today, uh, before we get there however, uh, Blue in, the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green radio, this is a 21st century soul, jazz, funk, uh, Latin and uh, hip hop radio station that you can find uh, online via our website blueingreenradio.com, you can hear our 24 hour stream of our radio station as well as the home for uh, these series of podcasts. Um, as we said, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful show lined up for you today. Really excited. Uh, we're meeting someone who I'm uh, genuinely in awe of. Uh, she's a real Renaissance woman, and this is such a win for us to be able to have uh, secure time with the incredible, the uh, incomparable uh, Chelsea Wilson. She's um, and said something of a renaissance woman she is a singer she's a songwriter she's a dj she's a documentary maker she's a artistic director for the stonington uh, jazz festival her credentials run longer than the uh, the length of this podcast <laughs> so uh we're gonna get to spend time with the fantastic chelsea wilson we're visiting melbourne australia for that conversation uh, which you'll hear momentarily uh we we get into everything first and foremost we are discussing the release of her brand new album um 2019 saw the release of her brand new album chasing gold uh and uh, it is the sophomore effort that follows her debut album uh released in 2014 Team, which is the brilliantly titled I hope you'll be very unhappy without me um, it was a stunning soul record uh, worked working with just exceptional names from Australia's uh, soul and funk scene um, Chasing Gold sees her take a whole new direction with her music um, with fellow like-minded collaborators we talk about both projects we talk about the influences for both and we just talk about just everything music and uh, she's awesome and uh, I can't wait for you to meet her so uh, regular listeners of this podcast will know uh, we feature two songs on um, our on on each episode. Uh, our guest, in this case, Miss Chelsea Wilson, will pick the final song that will close the show. But I get the luxury of picking the first song. Now, Chelsea Wilson is far too humble to pick a song off from her own catalogue, so she's picked something else. We'll get to that as and when. Um, so it leaves me with the enviable task of picking a fantastic Chelsea Wilson song. So I'm going to pick a song from the brand new album, Chasing Gold. Uh, this exquisite track is uh, far and away I think my, my standout track from the album it's beautiful and it's a song that we discuss uh, as well she says some very poignant words about the actual song and the making of it so I hope you'll um, enjoy uh, this stunning track this is Breaking Down it is the second single from the Chasing Gold project um, you can visit Chelsea Wilson online you can pick up the music via chelseawilson.bandcamp.com 
bandcamp.com uh, both albums are available there cd formats uh, vinyl formats and digital so um, with great pleasure uh, we'll now head to melbourne australia and uh, meet the fantastic chelsea wilson very much hope you enjoy the show friends a very big thank you to jay adsheed for uh, helping putting this together and a quick reminder to check out blueandgreenradio.com
so much for taking the time. It's so great to talk to you. This is very excited about it. So thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I mean, talk about taking the time. I mean, you, you, I don't know, this must be an incredibly busy time. I mean, I guess firstly, congratulations on Chasing Gold. I mean, you're, I guess you're like a week away from, from official release, right? Woohoo! Yeah, it's um, really exciting to get it out in the world. I was, that was going to be my question. Is this a nerve wracking time or do you get really excited at this point? Are you kind of like, I just want people to hear it or are you kind of, do you get more nervous or? <laughs> no, I just want people to hear it. Yeah. It's an exciting Excellent. time. It's and- an exciting time. I mean, that's part of being an artist is you have stories to tell, you have creative ideas and you just want to get them out there. And, you know, an album is one of those, those ways to do that. So yeah. And, you know, I love records and I'm a, vinyl collector myself and I'm also a DJ so I'm really excited about the actual getting the record which is um, nearly completed and it's going to be really sparkly and it's got gold foil on it so <laughs> I'm really excited. Wow Just- I, I'm, I'm unsurprised hence the title Chasing Gold of course. Yeah Obviously, well why you haven't not? Got your own copy yet. No not yet but it's oh, on its way. Really exciting. Oh, that's very, very cool. Uh, how how was the whole thing to put together? Uh, was it has the sort of creation of the album been quite a lengthy process? Did you know what you wanted to do at the outset? Yeah, it is a lengthy process putting an album together, and you know, I had a really big kind of idea in mind. I wanted to have this, you know, sort of disco rare groove influenced kind of bonanza, and you know, there's a lot of strings, there's a lot of vocals, so. There's a lot of people involved to get that sort of big sound that that I wanted. Um, But the process has been fantastic and I've been really lucky to have some people who came on board who believed in the vision and believed in the idea. And we had a lot of fun recording the album, absolutely. We recorded it mainly live, um, the rhythm section that is. We overdubbed the strings later just because you can't fit all those strings and all of the band in the room. It's just you'd need a very big room. I'd need to be at <laughs> Abbey Road or something. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, it was over three days uh, with the band. We recorded it um, mainly live um, and we had so much fun recording it and it was a very different process Um from my first record whereas with my first record I wrote everything by myself um uh, besides one song that I co-wrote but I I pretty much wrote every song by myself and I recorded a lot of home demos um playing keyboard and you know I'm not world's best piano player um but you know just with my home studio set up I kind of played the bass line in the left hand and I wrote the horn parts you know and played those on my right hand and I you know had really um completed draft versions of every song that the band just kind of had to listen to and sort of redo. Um, But with this album, the producer I worked with, Ross McHenry, said to me, I don't want you to do that. I want you to just have the really raw version of the song, just the you playing the chords and singing, and we'll bring the band in and we're going to jam on it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the most terrifying things ever. You know, Maeli Manzanza is such a jazz drummer and he starts hitting the drums like he's like an octopus. It's like he's got eight limbs. It's like this crazy (laughs) drum stuff going on. I'm like, oh, my God, this is not going to work. It's going to be terrible. But, you know, it it worked in the end. Like, And the way that Ross, um, his idea was that, you know, we get the other musicians to bring in more of, breathe their personality into it 
put their influences onto it and just play with the songs because, you know, a song can go in so many different directions. You can have the one song and it can be, you know, it can be a house song or it could be a real pop song or it can be, you know, a country song depending on how you produce it, right? So not being super prescriptive but giving them a nudge of like, hey, I really like Patrice Russian (laughs) kind of. It just sort of evolved in a, you know, in a more, you know, kind of natural way, I guess, you know, but it, there's some really interesting parts musically in the record where you hear the players do things, you know, that, that they came up with. And it was great to give them that space and freedom to be able to express themselves within the music. It's um, it's a very different record, isn't it? Like from from the first project, which is it's just such a glorious record. What from twenty fourteen, I think. Right? Uh, I hope you'll be very unhappy yeah. without me, which yeah. deserves an award for the best <laughs> album title ever. I love, I love it. I love how it's just so blatant. I think most people, when they sort of write songs, or like that that perspective of like a breakup is always I'm better you know I'm stronger now and I'm going to be positive and optimistic but this album title was oh just <laughs> F you and I loved it I love it. <laughs> me too and I love sing- I love singing that song it's just so funny um it's a great song yeah and yeah and you know I think that is a real feeling that we, you know, we pretend, you know, that we're so on a higher moral ground and oh, I've just moved on and, you know, I'm just living my best life and I'm letting them live theirs. It's like, what a load of shit. Like, you're still angry and you're never going to get over it. You want their life to suck. You totally do. You know, like, there's nothing like talking to a maid and they hear some tidbit of gossip about their ex and they're not doing well and their eyes glisten. Like, they light up like a bloody Christmas tree. They're like, Yes, stop shit to that person, you know. So I think everyone, you know, has felt that way in, in the past. And, you know, we like to keep it classy and, you know, pretend that that's not the case. But in music, you don't have to worry about that. You can actually yeah. just be bitter. You can have your four minutes of, of being bitter, you know. You can express in the context of songs, you can. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I, I, but it, so that's what kind of made Chasing Gold quite, like it's the, it's the flip it completely, isn't it? Where this is a more, this is, I think I when I wrote the review, I wrote that while the first album dwelled in like the heartbreak, this one was sort of the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is the more optimistic side of you coming out now, particularly, particularly in your songwriting. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think everybody's noticed that. <laughs> Even my mum. Mum's gone, wow, something's really different here. We've gone from bitterness wow. to real love. Oh. <laughs> is, was, that, was that difficult? Are you more comfortable writing in like one album, one sort of style or tone than the other? Um, it's not uncomfortable, but it was definitely new. I mean... You know, but I guess, you know, that's just where you are in your life at the time. And, you know, my, my life has definitely changed since, um, you know, I wrote the first album, undoubtedly. I'm in a much, you know, happier relationship. And also I feel a lot more confident, um, you know, in myself. And then across the album, you know, lyrically, it's not all just about relationships. You know, I've been able to really, you know, have some more political, you know, my my personal views or, you know, political views have kind of more entered into this album, such as the song Nothing Can Come Between This Love Tonight, which I wrote um, mm. for the survivors um, from the Pulse 
and the ones lost from the um, horrible mass shootings that happened at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando a few years ago. You know, that story just really, um, it just really hit me um, to think that people are, you know, expressing themselves, dancing to music, you know, loving life, being right, with people right. I love, expressing their sexuality and that horrible violence occurred. Um, and I, I wanted to write a song that was, you know, like nothing's going to stop us, we're going to keep going. Um you know, and put that and put that um, you know joyful spin on it. Um, and there's another song on there called "Take Back the Night," which um, was kind of inspired partly by the Reclaim the Night rallies, but also um, the suburb of Brunswick where I was living at the time when I wrote the song, um, where there's been some horrible um, violent issues um, and violent attacks on women. Um, and so my partner at the time didn't want me walking home from rehearsal by myself. He didn't want me. You know, walking from the tram stop to home because, you know, and that made me so angry because I want to be able to walk down the street. Um, You know, I want to be able to walk home from from work without having that kind of fear. So, you know, I was, this. the album sounds really happy and optimistic and it's it's all dances, dancing songs. There's no like down-tempo ballads, but, you know, there's some lyrical themes on there which are, you know, which are quite personal. And slightly political. And but in terms of the down tempo ballads, there is Breaking Down, mm. which is probably my favorite from the whole thing, which is the beautiful song. I think it, it, in its own way, it's quite at home with uh, the debut album as well. Um, but yeah. that's a stunning record. Thank you. Yeah, I'd say Breaking Down is kind of the closest um, theme wise to um, some of the content. On, I hope you'll be very unhappy without mm. me. But it's it's even darker, and it is me being more honest because it is it is about domestic violence, and I've experienced domestic violence as a child as well as an adult. Um, and yeah, it's a very personal song. It's very I really had a hard time recording the vocals because I just kept crying. Um, oh, so that take is the only take I could get through. Um, I didn't start crying in that take till. Uh, the last chorus so it's all of the one take until the last chorus where I started crying and then they dropped me in and I went again from there I'm a bit better with singing it now I'm sort of like at a point now where I can actually get through it but um yeah I think it's important that we share these stories you know and that that it's you can use your music as a platform to to have those conversations and have that dialogue I love everything you you put into your music. It's incredible how much of yourself you 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 just sort of pour into it. It's incredible stuff. Well, thank you. And I look forward to listening to those songs again now that you've given them the, sort of the context that you have. Yeah. How did you hook up with Ross McHenry? You know, I've been a fan of Ross McHenry for quite a few years. Um, I used to be the music manager at the iconic PBS one hundred six point seven FM here in Melbourne. And right. um, I also had my own radio show, Jazz Got Soul, for about six years. And, you know, so I was playing a lot of jazz, a lot of, you know, a lot of soul jazz. Um, and, yeah, I, I was a huge fan of the Shaolin Afronauts, still am. And, you know, I had, we had Ross's um, album as Album of the Week. Um, but even before that, his soul project, the Transatlantics, you know, we had the Transatlantics as Album of the Week. You know, I booked Ross and the whole band to come in to perform live on air. So I, I knew, I've known him for a long time. And then when he put out his kind of jazzy sounding records, you know, um, some of the grooves on there are just unreal, like really in the pocket, like just super hip. Um, and, yeah, for working on this album, you know, I I wanted to kind of go in a different direction and I wanted it to be a little bit 
yeah, I guess challenge challenge myself more musically as well. Um, and when I had these conversations with Ross about working together and, and, you know, and he said to me, you know, I want you to write something that's undeniable, write something that's undeniably you and don't think about genre and don't think about what it's going to sound like at the end. Just get on that keyboard and just really write from the heart something that's you. And I can come in and I can bring in musicians and we can play and experiment and we can fill out the grooves, but I want you to just be undeniable. And I was like, wow, okay, I really want to work with, with Ross. He just, he really, wow. he really inspired me. And, but it was hard though, because I'm used to thinking, okay, cool. You know, I love boxing and I wish there was a cool song that was at this kind of tempo that people could kind of box to. And that's when I wrote Hit Him Like Ali. Wow. You know, I had a groove oh, in my mind and I wrote to that thing. It wasn't just sit at the keyboard and have a moan and play a few chords. Um, so it really challenged me. Um, and you know, that's good. And he's just wonderful. Like he's just, he's such an intelligent, um, dude to talk to, you know, on any topic. He's, he's very articulate. He's so smart. He's the kind of dude where you're like, shit, I've been wasting my life. (laughs) He knows everything about everything. He's a real old soul. He's, he's wonderful. Tirelessly prolific, isn't he? With yes. his music, it's just it's an incredible amount of stuff there is. Yeah. And ha- the amount, of, yeah, the amount of different things he's attached his name to as well. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And he's really he's a built a community. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. And he's really built a community of of players. Um, you know, and there's a real kind of family. You know, Adelaide's a very different town from from Melbourne. Um, and he's really built that community, and it's really incredible. But yeah, it's a lot of people have said, why did you get jazz guys to make a disco album? What were you thinking? Um, <laughs> and this is, I think, the first recording where Ross plays slap bass. Um, oh, and he loved it. He was having the best time. You know, he was grinning. You know, he was he was loving it. And he just kept talking about Dimitri from Paris and some of these old, you know, house <laughs> records that he used to listen to as a teenager, but he's never had the opportunity to play like that. So yeah, it was fun, um, but because because they're such jazz players, they didn't want to go with some of those more conventional studio techniques. Like we didn't record to a click track, so you know there's no there was no metronome beat that we're all right. following. So you know that's all cool and everything, and you get a great vibe. But then when it comes to overdubbing strings later, you're sort of setting yourselves up for a world of studio hell um, because you can't you know repeat or copy sections the strings have to play every single part again and again and again and again (laughs) so um everything on there is really played there's no editing magic because you couldn't do it because there was no click track um but you know it worked yeah i mean jake mason as well is someone who was involved in some of the production as well for the first album i mean he's again another person that you sort of work incredibly well with from cooking the three burners obviously yeah, Jake's a really good mate and, yeah, we've been working together for, for quite some time. He produced the first album. He produced my EP. Um, we worked together on the Women of Soul album. Um, we've co-written together. Yeah, and now we also do some work together through Music Victoria. I'm also the I'm the deputy chair of Music Victoria, which is the state peak body for contemporary music. So we advocate for better rights for musicians and for music venues and 
um, you know, policy and all of that kind of stuff. And we have a musician's advisory panel that I chair and Jake's on that as well. So, yeah, we, we work together really well. Um, he was fantastic on this record. We recorded the strings with Jake. We recorded all the vocals with Jake. Um, he was there with, for the mastering. So, yeah, he's, he's a big part of it. How do you find time for anything? You're on the Stonington Jazz Festival as well, right? You were, you, uh, you recently got the, um, uh, the artistic director slot, is that right? Yeah, that's uh, right. So you've, you've taken it on again. How do you mm-hmm. find time for anything? <laughs> I don't it's know. Incredible. <laughs> Just trying not to have a breakdown is the main. And I'm still <laughs> DJing as well. I don't know. Yeah. But I love all the things I'm involved with. So, you know, it's hard, you know, that I guess, you know, caffeine, yoga and a whole lot of adrenaline is just keeping me going. <laughs> mm. But once this album is out and, you know, the festival, the Stonington Jazz is in May. So post-festival, you know, I'll have some time because I want to have some time to, you know, write the next album. So, yeah, working. I'm oh, working on that. already thinking next album. Oh, yeah. I've got like a list of things. You know, I'm a list person. So I'm going to make a jazz album. You know, I've got another you know, kind of rare groove disco record in the works. You know, I'd love to do a big band thing at some stage. I just did a performance oh, wow. of the Chasing Gold repertoire with a string quartet and harp and backing vocals at the Melbourne Recital Centre, which was amazing. Wow. I felt like Kylie with the Abbey Road Orchestra or whatever. <laughs> um, so I'd love to record that. You know, I've got so many ideas for different shows and I'm also working more on my solo um, gigs because – you know, so I can just play piano and vocals, which is a lot more portable for touring um, and is also really fun and a good challenge for me. So, yeah, lots lots of things on the go. You mentioned um, uh, sort of the the prospect of a a jazz album. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about because I know how how huge a part of your life jazz is. I was was always sort of interested that jazz wouldn't have been the – sort of the first kind of album you would have lent towards in terms of a style of music for yourself? Yeah, I sort of thought it would be as well. I mean, I was planning on making a jazz record. That's what my plan was. (laughs) But, Mm. you know, I, you know, started working in Melbourne, you know, and I was at PBS. I mean, PBS has so many amazing um, programs and is really strong in the soul scene. So I just, all I was listening to was soul music you know, from all eras. Mm. And so when it came time to write the album, you know, and I I wrote songs like Bitterness and, you know, I Let a Good Man Down and they weren't jazz. I was like, okay, well, that's all right. I could do a jazz album at another time. You know, and that's when I started working with the the cats from Cooking on Three Burners because, you know, I was like, Mm. well, that's, you know, they're just such an incredible um band so I want to work with them because they're going to get this soul thing that I'm where I'm coming from but you know the jazz is you know I've got a jazz gig this weekend actually um oh wow yeah singing with um my um mate of mine Adam Rudiger and his trio and we're just going to churn through you know some classic standards and it's going to be great it's going to be really fun so I you know the the jazz jazz original project will happen when it happens but yeah I'm I'm excited about, you know, working on my own my own sort of, you know, disco crossover sound at the moment. Uh, so I read your uh, L magazine uh, kind of uh, 
a piece about for the for, you have this opening line for this old magazine thing on how to dig jazz you have this opening line that says for the uninitiated jazz can seem like a hot complicated mess and i love that as a description because i'm i'm a huge jazz fan but i would fully admit that it's probably the most intimidating form of music for anyone to try and just get into you know because there is a whole you know a, just series of questions for people in terms of what what's happening right now how long is this song is this the same song yeah yeah why is everyone clapping <laughs> why is everyone... you had this thing about audience etiquette as well um which which was brilliant and have you ever had any particular poor moments of audience etiquette in during a performance of your own <laughs> mate <laughs> how much time do you have <laughs> really oh no um is it no it couldn't have been that bad. yeah look i've had some crazy i've had some crazy stuff go down at gigs um really cra- really crazy i mean you know some of the 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 craziest examples might have been, you know, a gig I did um, here in Melbourne a few years ago where there was these dudes kind of standing right up front the, um, to the stage and they were holding their arms up, like holding their hands up like they wanted me to shake their hand. And I was kind of ignoring them because I'm like, come on, I'm not Robbie Williams. Like we're not going to high five. I'm not a stadium <laughs> show. Like this is, it's sort of embarrassing that you're doing it. But it looked really awkward that I was ignoring them. So I ended up, I was still singing and so I went to sort of shake their hand or whatever and then these three men grabbed my arm and started pulling me off the stage um, and then they oh, sort geez. of, I was sort of trying to wrench my arm back and they held my arm and then one of the guys, one of the guys held my arm and then the other one licked my hand and licked all the way up my arm and they said, do you want to come home with us right now, all three of us? I'm like, No. <laughs> Like, can you imagine I was going to turn around to the band and go, gig's over, fellas, I've got an audience gangbang to go to. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Seriously. Um, I had a man come up on stage um, at a gig and pick me up and start carrying me off the stage. Um, basically, oh I had to stop playing and go put the singer down. Mate, what are you doing? Um, yeah, I've... Oh just crazy stuff happens. You know, I had a woman run up on stage to try and I was wearing this overcoat over the top of a dress and, you know, I was the idea was I was going to take the overcoat off like after a few songs, but she just came onto the stage and just started wrenching the coat off me. It's like, please get off. Is there any chance, is there any chance it was her coat? <laughs> just by any, is there any chance? No. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. <laughs> no? Oh, my God. No, it was my mum's. I'd borrowed it off mum. Um, yeah, just crazy oh stuff happens, God. and you know, I um, no, you have to stop these. You're too awesome to have subjected to have been subjected to any of this. This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you, but terrible. you know, things you should rewrite your that article now about like really unleashing on proper etiquette. That's terrible stuff. Ah, uh, you know, what do you do? I mean, look, some of the feedback you get after the gigs is is even crazier than when you're on stage. You know, I had this woman recently you know, say, oh, when did you get that, that photo taken? You were a lot younger then, weren't you? It's like, oh my what? God. It's called a photo shoot. Like you've got lighting and stuff <laughs> on you. I call it, no one looks like their photos all day, every day. Like, but who can, did you oh enjoy the God. show? Like who cares? <laughs> She's like, but how old are you really? Come on, how old are you in the photo? It's like, who cares? Just, just enjoy your night. Like, you know, 
Okay, quick, give a, give a great story. We need, I need a really great live story. Um, of you being cheered out of the building and people screaming for, for, for further encores. <laughs> and- <laughs> well, I did this one gig um, when I was working in Japan, which was quite a memorable gig. Oh, wow. um, I was singing in this... I was singing in the champ in like this champagne bar at the Hilton Hotel in Nagoya, and I was singing jazz, and all of a sudden, everyone in the audience kind of jumped up and sort of rushed towards the elevators, and I, I thought, what's going on? And I, I turned around to look at the elevators, and all, no joke, all four members of Kiss in their full costumes walked out of the lift. <laughs> And apparently they'd been doing a press conference in the ballroom of the hotel, which I didn't know anything about at all. Um, So I just had to keep going. And all of these Japanese press, like everyone was there and there was hundreds of people in the lobby all wanting photos and signatures and they were kissing babies and all this kind of stuff. And I just had to keep going. Um, And then after a couple of songs, they started walking towards us and Paul Stanley... um, Gene, they got on the stage with us um, just to sort of pose around us for their photos while I kept singing. That's amazing. And then Paul grabbed the mic and started singing with me. And you, you don't want to hear that dude oh. scat, like, seriously. He's like, Scooby Dooby Dooby, water, water, water. Just like taking the piss, but also just trying to sing. And the dude is huge, like, so tall in, in these massive platforms. And all the paps, all this paparazzi were around us for like one song and then they all just left. And then I just had to keep going for another half an hour singing in front of the two people that were still sitting in the bar. <laughs> it was surreal and weird and crazy. That's, that's, inc- that's incredible. Where, where else in the world have you performed? Japan is amazing to have said that you've done. That's incredible. Yeah, I was there for 18 months. I did three six-month contracts oh. singing there. Um, yeah, and it was wild, you know, amazing. I love, I love Japan. Um, I also did a, um, a residency gig in Dubai for a while. Um, wow. yeah, when I was kind of first starting out, I, I even did the cruise ship thing for six months going around in a circle in the Caribbean, as they say, oh uh, three and a half thousand of your closest friends. Um, <laughs> I've sung in Thailand. Um, I did a um, some shows for opening of a new hotel over there. Um, I've done some shows in Bali, um, Paris. I've sung in Paris, um, and yeah, London, obviously. Yeah, and I made my UK debut at Glastonbury a few years ago, which was totally that's wild right. and a huge highlight. Um, yeah, so for anyone out there that's on the cruise ship scene, you know. <laughs> You know, anything's possible. You're taking bookings. Anything's yeah. possible. <laughs> That's amazing. What was Glastonbury like? Well, in, you mentioned before that, you know, quote I had about jazz being, you know, a hot, complicated mess. You know, I think that describes Glastonbury <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing like Glastonbury. I mean, really, it's it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's, it is wild. Um I think you can you can make it what you want to make it. Um, I think you have to be strategic, and I wasn't as, that strategic. You know, I saw other people who really prepared. They'd set up their 
their area and it's right near that one stage. It's so big. I could, so, yeah. Like I drove my band, you know, I don't, this is, you know, self-managed artist, you know, whatever. So I drove the band. Um, it took six hours from London because the traffic was just insane. And then you you finally oh get God, there bro. and then, you know, they sort of direct you to where you, you park. And then it was an hour and a half walk from the car park to where we were camping <laughs> um, through mud, carrying all your gear. Um, it's, you know, you're like, oh, what the hell? Where am I? Um, yeah. You know, I wanted to see Gregory Porter. Um, I was determined, but you know, it was a 55 minute walk to get there. That's how big it is. It's huge. You can't, <laughs> oh my you, you look at that lineup and you go, oh, I'm going to see all these bands. Um, no, I, know. You, I don't know how people, yeah. You'd be walking about 20 Ks to try and catch half of them. It's, but how incredible yeah. is that? I mean, it's amazing. Will you be heading over to the UK for, um, anything to do with chasing gold and, and promo tours or anything like that. You know, that. I'm going to be over in April, so I'm going to be there for Record Store Day. which oh, I'm, Of course, brilliant. Which I'm very excited about. Yeah, so hopefully, um, you know, I'd love to organise, you know, something. I don't have any live shows planned as yet, but I'll be over in April um, for Record Store Days and, you know, doing some promo and stuff like that. But um, I'm planning to come um, back over in July and do some shows. That's the plan. That's the grand plan. A final thing I wanted to mention uh, is uh, sort of your, uh, I don't know if you ever did any more, but your uh, Kerry Biddle documentary, oh, yeah. which uh, is available uh, on SoundCloud, is a, is, a, is a fantastic piece of work. Dude. That's um, I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't know the name uh, before. She was obviously heralded as Australia's like first lady of jazz, I think is, is the phrase. And it's... Um, you know her career, her life, and everything about it is is a it's a real stunning tribute that you created for oh, thank her. You. So, uh, I really is, appreciate did you that. ever? Yeah, no, it's it really is. It's brilliantly uh, put together and informative, and you spoke to incredible amount of people. And um, I mean, I I take it she's had a particular impact on your music and and uh, career as well. Yeah, um, Carrie Bedell, you know, was an amazing vocalist and really under recognized. Um, and I felt really compelled when she passed, um, you know, that I felt she should have had more recognition than she had. So for Stonington Jazz Festival, I put together a, um, you know, a kind of show um, with a whole bunch of different singers, you know, doing some um, Caribbean repertoire and so on. But I really just felt like that wasn't enough. And it's so... It's so common, you know, that we do these sort of live tribute shows. I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, so I wanted to do something more and so that's why I, I put together this radio documentary and it's my first ever radio doco. So it means so much that you thought it was all right. Um, it's, no, I thought it was excellent. <laughs> I thought it was more than all right. No, it's, it's so good. It was really, really good. Uh, it's so much work. Have you done, it? Have you done no, more since? No, I haven't. Or? I haven't. It was <laughs> like, geez, this is so much work, you know. It's, <laughs> it's so much. It's And not that I shy away from hard work. Um, of course not. But, you know, the radio show that I was presenting was a real music program, you know, and PBS is not huge on talks. So it was also about the platform for, you know, if I do more, you know, documentary style or long form pieces, I don't really have a, a platform for that. Um, but, yeah, there's some other documentaries I'd really like to make. But the Carrie Bedell thing, you know, I think is really special. She's really 
under-recognized, underrated, I felt not really acknowledged. I mean, she didn't want stardom and fame, you know, and I think that's one of the, the things that I kind of, you know, got out of that interview is I couldn't understand why someone who, you know, had so many major career wins and, you know, early on just kind of vanished off the radar. But, you know, it seems that that's sort of what she wanted and she didn't really want the whole um, showbiz and fame. But I just think that's a bunch of unfortunate circumstances and, you know, not really great industry support for an artist who wants to do something in a more alternative space, whereas now I think there's a little bit more um, encouragement or freedom to, to, to do, you know, forge your own path and be your own kind of artist but I think that's a really important role that we can play as festival directors or as broadcasters that we can help to shift that narrative. So with kind of, um, you know, putting out compilations or retrospective albums, for example, we can kind of say, hey, this is something that amazing that happened in 1978. You missed it because you were too busy listening to the big hits in the top 40. But this thing that you missed is actually the thing that really influenced all of that top 40 following it. And needs to be recognised. And a lot of women in the music industry have been kind of, um, you know, not fully recognised for their for their contributions. And that making a radio doco or putting on a show like that is a way to sort of re-enter them back into that mainstream consciousness and and sort of reset the narrative mm. of of where they should be. It was it was it was brilliantly done. I I thought there was a lot of sort of parallels between yourself and her, um, in terms of just you never knew what she would do next musically. And I think that's the same as being said for yourself. Uh, and just in terms of you've taken each project and you've, you've treated it as a clean slate and you've used it as a vehicle to, to sort of present your, your passion for music uh, in a completely different way each time in terms of not playing it safe and doing the same thing for, for subsequent albums. And I think uh, Kerry Padilla seemed to be doing the exact same thing. So it, it was quite a uh, uh, poignant that you, um, your career had kind of is going in that path as well. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> Any parallels oh, you to should. carry? You should. <laughs> Who else would you cover if you were to do more documentaries, which you totally should, but uh, who, who would be sort of high on your list? Well, in terms of other Australian artists in particular, um, there's an amazing piano player called Judy Bailey, who I booked for uh, Sonnington Jazz last year. And she's, She's not young. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how old she is, maybe in her 70s. Um, and she's done big band records, solo piano records. But she did this rad mm. album in about 1977 called Colours. And it's some really unreal, deep jazz funk sort of shit. It's right up my alley. You know, it's, it's got like harp on it, flute. You know, it's like psych, you know, jazz funk stuff. It's, it's unreal. And when I called her to play at the festival, I was like, I love that Colours album. And she's like, really? <laughs> You know, <laughs> like it's one of the coolest albums ever to come out of Australia and it's so under-recognised. And then um, this rapper in the States, oh, I'm going to have a mind blank, I can't remember his name, um, but this hip-hop artist in the States sampled it on a tr- song called Santorini, Greece, um, for this hip-hop album. And, you know, she's just been sampled on this song and, you know, it's got a film clip with, you know, all these women in bikinis walking around, you know, that kind of typical hip-hop clip. And it's like this 70-year-old piano player lady from Sydney who's like, oh, they're using my song. I, was, I can't believe it, you know. Um, and it's wild. But that's just how hip that track is, that it's been sampled like that. 
and you know, just an amazing story. Um, there's also a vocalist, Vince Jones, who's one of Australia's great vocalists, who is kind of similar to Kerry in the way that he never wanted to be a kind of Michael Bublé. He never wanted to sing standards. He doesn't want to play by the book, but he's he's right up there. He's he's our Kurt Elling. You know, he's he's one of the best. He's our Gil wow. Scott Heron. He's our Kurt Elling. He's been the number one jazz singer for such a long time here, and um, yeah, he's kind of well under-recognised. But, yeah, so many. I could go on, you know. I know. Well, you've definitely been planning it. This is that's ah, very cool. I, I really hope you do get to progress with it because, um, as I said, it was a, it was a special uh, piece of radio. So uh, congratulations on Thank that you. as well. Um, oh, I've taken up far too much of your time. Uh, for each show, we like to hand over to our guests to pick our closing song. It could be one of your own. It could be one of your favorite songs. It could be anything in the world. Uh, is there something that you can think of that you'd like to close the show out with? Oh, uh, well, what about Patrice Russian? You can call on me. That's a great one. <laughs> That's Since we're doing hit. this interview via call, you can yeah, call she's... on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Chelsea Wilson just sang on, uh, on the podcast I'm doing. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah, yeah, Patrice Russian, she's another one of your heroes. Absolutely. It's a perfect pick. I just love Patrice. So I love Patrice. That. I really want to see oh. her live. She's still yeah. gigging, going strong, you know, on the on the West Coast. I don't know if we'll get her to Australia <laughs> anytime soon, but some of the best albums ever. Like she's just amazing. Yeah, I know. She's a, she's an absolute yeah. legend. And one of the people you mentioned, I think, in your liner notes for Chasing Gold is one of your muses uh, for the project as well. So, yeah. I, you know, it might seem cheesy or whatever, but, you know, I think it's good to acknowledge, you know, who those, you know, those muses are and, you know, tip other people to, you know, what you're, what you're digging and, you know, and, and there's definitely, you know, I didn't want the album to be, you know, a genre piece or be a kind of mimic or sound like something that was recorded in 1977 and somebody forgot about it and it's been in a vault. But, you know, I, I want to create, you know, my own sound and, and my own story. But it definitely has those flavours and influences, that, you know, from a variety of sources. So, you know, credit where credit's due. No, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a perfect way of paying respect and expressing your passion uh, for music as a fan. So uh, it's it's no by no means cheesy <laughs> at all. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on the on the new album. Uh, good luck with everything going forward. Uh, the Stonington Jazz Festival as well. Uh, you have a long list of things to focus on this year, and I, I want to say congratulations and wish you the absolute best of luck uh, for everything going forward. And thank you so much for taking the time for this today. It means everything. So, so thank, thank you. you so much for all your support and encouragement. <laughs> Thanks so much, mate. Um, hopefully, see you in a few months. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. It'll be great.